We are talking about implicit and explicit narrative this week on Gaming the Podcast. How are the two related? How are they separate? And how, in particular, can the implicit side of a game's narrative cause within us some of the most powerful and memorable reactions? My name is John Robertson and I'll be joined shortly by Stace Harmon. Before that though, just a quick reminder that you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Indie by Design. We're also at Indie by Design on all other social media networks. And you can also visit our website, IndieByDesign.net, where you can check out and pick yourself up copies of the video game books that we write, create and publish. Those were quite explicit calls to action right there, so maybe I should work on making them a little more implicit next time. Explicit and implicit narrative in video games. And that is... Broadly defined, I think that's uh, the stories that we're told through video games and the stories that we infer for ourselves. Um, and this is going to cover several different games and genres. But as a by way of an example of, of what we'll be talking about, there is, and there's some spoilers for part, Last of Us Part 2 for anybody that hasn't played it yet, there is a point in The Last of Us where Joel has just been killed and Ellie goes into his house to look for some belongings and specifically to find his gun and she picks up that gun and there's discussion around what that means she t- she's talking about what that means to her but what i took from that was a uh, there was a moment there where as soon as ellie gets that gun i knew instinctively without too much thought that i would not use that gun throughout the entire game unless it was to kill people that had killed joel and furthermore I wouldn't kind of engage with some of the game systems surrounding the weapons. Like I knew that I wouldn't upgrade that gun. I wouldn't tinker with it, at least on my first playthrough, because that's the that's my first narrative playthrough. Subsequent playthroughs, I've upgraded it fully and all the rest of it. But there is so there's a moment where there's, there's a story that you're being told. There's events that's happening, and then there's things that I took from that and everything that I knew about Ellie and the uh, the situation from both the second game and the first game. And it's a thing that games are very well-placed to do and can be incredibly powerful in doing, um, but perhaps one that we don't talk enough about or perhaps isn't isn't as acknowledged as it would be, would you say? Is it a thing that's not, um, there isn't enough discussion about in terms of critical assessment or possi- in the way that we talk about video games? Yeah, possibly. Although I think actually it's probably happening all of the time without people kind of realizing it because i think i think i'd go so far as to say that there's no game because of the form of video games the interactive element um there is no game in i don't think there's there's, i don't think there's a game that exists that doesn't have an implied narrative and often when people are talking about it they're often talking about implied narrative but they're not using the words implied narrative they're not like labeling Mm -hmm. it as such but i would which is where this 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 notion of like stories that we that we make up for ourselves that we infer for ourselves comes from right like so because so so i think um yeah so so no game is without implied narrative i would suggest because if you're engaging with something that's then reacting to you and you're engaging in something looking for a reaction which is which is what a game is doesn't matter whether that's a board game video game any game word game like whatever you're doing something to seek a to try and cause a reaction Mm -hmm. um in order to progress the game um and whenever you're causing a reaction to something within something then you're going to have a response to that a an emotional response a you know a a response of action like you're talking about in the last of us um 
and therefore you've created a story like there's there's an input there's a reaction there's an action that comes from that uh there's an emotional change like that's always implied narrative all the time like mm. it doesn't matter whether that's the last of us if that's tetris if that's street fighter if that's gran turismo there's a narrative going on all of the time um um, but we're not great, it seems, at talking about that because often the the question might be, so what's the story of this game? And unless it's an explicit narrative in those games, those typically sort of cinematic games like Last of Us, like Tomb Raider, like Grand Turismo, uh, not Grand Turismo, Grand Theft Auto, the answer might typically be, oh well, there isn't one. Like, what's the story of Fortnite? Oh well, there isn't one. But but the I mean, you're not just suggesting with it, but you're stating that that is just wholly untrue it's just not a story that is that we're familiar with it's a story that's happening on a different level that's wrong but it it might just be wrong on a semantic level it might be that people do agree that like yes there's an emotional art to these things but they're just not labeling it as story Mm because story we like we tend to think of as plot and character Mm -hmm. um so they might not be labeling it as such but i think like i don't think many people would suggest that there isn't an emotional arc to to those things sure like there's an emotion which which i would suggest why which, which i would definitely state is story uh an emotional progress from one emotion to the next and then potentially back again you know peaks and troughs etc that's what a story is that is what a film or a game or a writer is trying to have you go through the elements on screen the characters reacting to each other the actions happening ellie finding the gun whatever that in and of themselves they're not they're just tools they're just tools to make the player or the viewer have an emotional reaction like the it's the emotion that is the story it's just whatever the the way that they draw that emotion from you that's just a tool that's that's a narrative tool um so yeah like and then the tool in more abstract games is a bit harder to to um to visualize or to 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 notice that you're actually you're actually being influenced by it like in puzzle games you know flipping a block around to try to put to put it into the right space and then feeling reward or frustration that it doesn't come or tension because it's coming up to the the limit and you're going to lose like and then you know the the relief and the sense of joy when it when you finally do get that block that goes in and, and removes all the blocks that's a story like you've gone through an emotional art to the story like the actual responses that your subconscious being is going through is the same ones as in the last of us or in a movie it's just that the stimulus that you're that's causing that isn't readily identified as a as a story but but your body is reacting in the same way you're still you're still scared or you're still sweating or whatever responses that you're having you're still sad or you're still disappointed whatever the responses are the same Um, yeah and sometimes that's often perhaps that's more powerful because it's something that you are creating or inferring yourself. So I like something like survival games are particularly, particularly good at this and they can be, they're not always the most polished of experiences. They're not always a game that you would look at and say that something like, I mean, going back to day Z is something that the last real, like I spent hundreds of hours in that game. Um, but more recent things like rust and Valheim, there's, there are stories there that emerge and that we engage with, even if there's no explicit narrative, even if there's no, and then one day the world ended and then the zombies came and this is what happened in day Z that doesn't need to be there. And yet that 
yeah that i remember going through there's stories you know because some of the most important stories or all the stories that come from games like that are ones that the players write themselves and experience for themselves and that they're the things that get told when they're telling it to their friends oh this thing happened the other day in x game and it was crazy because of x y and z but that wasn't like what the designer has done there or the developer has done there is create a framework within for those things to happen a breeding ground for those things to happen but not a and then i'll have a jump scare here and there's no like there's no beats there's no story like authored story beats in those yeah so i don't know if i would go so far as to say it's the game's the players of the games have wrote those stories themselves i don't know if i had to describe it as that because um the players can only write the stories based on the blocks that the developers give them because those are the only things you can react to so in Valheim or rust or whatever the stories are still built around the tension of not having resources or the tension of being attacked by someone else so the stories are still written a uh, framework that's structured and constrained and presented by the developers it's just that there's a kind of random more randomized set of reactions that you can have because the game isn't set up because, you know, the player doesn't know, or the developer doesn't know exactly what the player is going to come up against all the time. Um, so there is a kind of randomized element that the players are working against, but uh, working within. But the players are still constructing their stories through only the things that the that the developers sure. give them yeah i mean perhaps it's more yeah it's perhaps it's more um perhaps what i'm saying is more accurately summed up by saying the the specific narrative of any given story or playthrough because i agree that the building blocks have to be there you can't tell a story about going to the moon in valheim or in day z because that is not a thing that exists in the game but nonetheless the story my story my narrative of playing a game like that will be different from from playthrough to playthrough but it will also be different compared to other people that play the game in a different way so again for example with day z i did not in the hundreds of hours that i played that game i did not kill a single person i'm not sure i think i may have fired my gun at people in like warning but i did not kill a single person there are people whose entire experience was defined by hunting down and killing other people so those narratives are entirely uh created by the individual players but sure yeah the stories that they that they the story of of how what you want to do is defined by yeah yeah i suppose by what's there yeah Yeah, i suppose it would be described as the stories that we create ourselves in those us are created by the gameplay mechanics that the game Mm -hmm. has so yeah the game facilitates a certain yeah uh, yeah and and i think the skill in those sort of games is the authorship of those sort of games is it is comes from the designer being um clever in providing the right story uh sort of gameplay blocks and therefore potential mm. story outlets that melds together nicely to create a certain tension that is shared between most players how people react to that tension mm-hmm. is another thing but but you are reacting to the same sort of story blocks as everyone else because there's only a certain number of things you can do in the game so everything is built around that mm. um mm. but i think that 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 idea of here's some gameplay mechanics and here is, and then it's up to you how you react to that. Um, I mean, 
not only in DayZ, um, although that was maybe one of the earlier games to do it, but in games that are super popular now, the games shared by, well, shared by a lot of people, like I'm thinking like Battle Royale games, especially Fortnite, Apex, uh, Call of Duty, Warzone, and whatever. Um, you're, you're in, everyone's sharing the same sort of core elements there. Like you want to be the last team to survive. The circle is going to get closer, closer and closer and closer to the final point of the final survival zone. Um, as time goes on, you've got guns to shoot. You've got movements to make that either take you away from enemies for safety or move you closer to them or whatever certain Certain characters will have different skill sets, uh, depending on what game it is. If it's Apex, um, <clears throat> you know, you might have a healer or someone else might be a sniper or someone else might be able to move really quickly compared to everyone else or whatever. And the implied narrative of those games is so incredibly strong. And, and I think that's why those games are so popular. It's not because people enjoy shooting, although they, they do. I'm not saying that they don't, but I would argue that the reason those games those shooting games elevate themselves above other shooting games is because the stories, the potential for stories is so incredible because you've got each individual, say if there's a hundred players in the game, then you've got a hundred different stories, but then some of those might be, um, four or five of those might be localized to within your group. So you might be in a group of four or a group of five or a group of three in Apex. Um, so there's individual stories and there's a little story of your group of three, but then there's a story of the whole map as well, everyone. So there's a single story happening and then all these little stories happening. Um, and what you can infer from or what you what can be implied through that is absolutely crazy. Um, like, you know, like the emotional arc that we were talking about before, um, you know, the tension and the fear and the reward and the joy and, you know, the surprise and whatever all of that stuff is so uh, incredibly strong in in those games and like all the get the gameplay mechanics just work brilliantly in forcing those things upon you like the simple idea of the map getting smaller and smaller and smaller forces the story to change all the time because it means that uh, if someone just wants to be a sniper and the story of their entire existence in that game is that i will sit here and snipe whoever comes close to me that's like that's a flat boring story but you can't you have to engage in a new story all the time because you have to move towards the enemy you just you just have to it doesn't mean you have to be more aggressive you might move and hide but you can't just sit there and have that emotional stability of knowing no one's ever going to find me here and i'm going to be safe um until the end but you can't do that you have to engage in progressing your personal story forwards like you just can't and then if you're a healer or if you're a sniper or if you're a frontline fighter immediately before you've even begun playing the game your story is different like the yeah. story that i'm about to go on is going to be wildly you're choosing different. different parameters aren't you you're choosing different parameters in which to 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 experience that story because by choosing a, a certain class by choosing a certain uh avatar that has certain expectation not just from you but from other people around you like there is an expectation that you will act in this way if you yeah. are these and and characters. also also how people react to you as well like how your teammates yeah. will react to those so you yeah. picking the healer is changing the sniper's story because mm -hmm. they've got something different to react to. If you'd picked yeah. a sniper as well, yeah. then they would react to you differently. So yeah, so all in, these... in those cases, so then what people are seeking out, what we're seeking out through playing those games isn't isn't the obvious headline thing of domination and 
winning and being top of that list and being the last person standing or team standing or whatever it might be it's really we're just seeking out the interaction along the way because you can play a game and never win i mean even to take it to something like fall guys you can t- you can play a game and never never win but you will have you can you will still keep playing that game because of the stories that happen in the moment as you're playing it rather than the looking back and oh i won that you can arguably you can win well not arguably you can certainly win and have a less interesting story than in another game where you played even in the very next round where you play and have a much more interesting story but you got knocked out halfway through yeah you came mid-league or whatever yeah 100 percent. and i would say that it's it speaks to the quality storytelling of battle royale games that the vast majority of people either never win or win mm-hmm. incredibly rarely, and yet they still play the game all the time. Mm. So they are playing it at that, that. That's evidence that they're playing it for more than just simply win-lose. Like, that's mm-hmm. surely... Otherwise, otherwise, they just move on to a different game, wouldn't they? Like, surely. Yeah. But the millions yeah. of players that play these games are not winning regularly. Like, they're just not. The, the, the way that the, yeah. the number of people that win each game mean that that's impossible it's just mathematically impossible most people are not winning all the time or or even most winning 50 percent of the time or even 10 percent of the time they're just not yeah and that's and and yeah absolutely and and then combining those two things because i'm thinking in terms of like streamers and people people who are watched by other people um people who play something like apex or any of those battle royale games and have a an audience in in doing so through doing so the audience doesn't want the story of that game to be constantly that this streamer always wins they come they come first every single time i don't think that that it's more interesting there's more emotional highs if you just miss out or that time when you dropped in and oh my goodness this person who's been on a win streak of 10 just got knocked out in the first within the first five seconds like that those are the the stories that endure rather than the oh yeah they won you know, they won 15 times in a row by using the same tactics every single time. They were a sniper. They didn't do anything. That's not, it's like, yeah, that's the results are there, but that's not a appealing yeah. story. Yeah. I think dramatic. that might be interesting from a purely educational level. Like if you're saying, how how do I improve in Fortnite or whatever, you might mm-hmm. watch that, mm-hmm. but that's probably not a streamer you're going to go back to and watch after you've been educated to the point where you needed to be educated too. Like you're not going to go back to that educational institution essentially for entertainment are you like people go to university to learn and whatever but they don't then just go back to university to have a to like well, the, the lecture part of the university to have a good time do they like they they move on to they they do something else and that, that explains like hades as well explains but that's that's a way another way for me to look at hades because that is i can if i want to go on a winning streak winning streak of just beating you know defeating hades at the end of that game uh time and time and time again but that's not where the interesting stories come from that, and that's not the reason i play that game i'm not doing that to win i'm not doing that to to get a big number on the uh on the you know times achieved the times that you've escaped i'm doing it to experience a different thing each time i play to mix up the variables to like to see oh i was so super close on that how do i tweak that how do i what's the what are the interesting bits here rather than just you know the end result is you win that's not yeah that's not why we play no no and and i think actually games um they they have a different means of um implying narrative generating implicit narrative that other mediums don't most other mediums some some do tend not to have which is the interactive element so um because you're interacting with something like i said before like you're you're making a story each time through that that connection through that 
that interaction. Um, so I think because games are all about interaction to progress them, I would go so far as to say that um, if you want a quality, memorable narrative, uh, as defined by kind of like an emotional pro- uh, progress of emotions through time, then you really need to think about um, what do you actually want your players to be doing in this game? Like, what are the actions that the players can take? What are the what are the things that the players are going to use to imply meaning and narrative from through their actions? You need to think about that, what the players are doing, probably before and the before you decide. Okay, the plot of the game is this uh, because. You know, to use like The Last of Us is a great example of that, I think, you know, where um, the actions that you take really match with the plot and the theme of the world. To Mm -hmm. use another Naughty Dog example, Uncharted is a bad example of it because what you're doing in the world, climbing, jumping, shooting stuff, um, shooting a lot of stuff, shooting like 5,000 human enemies and killing them. Like there's a certain narrative that we're taking from Nathan Drake there that he's a certain kind of individual who is prepared to kill in genocidal numbers to get what he wants. But then in the cutscenes, the story Which is often something that doesn't belong to him. That's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like some ancient thing that should probably be in a museum or something. But um, he, but then so he's this killer, this maniacal killer in in the world. And and what what else could if if the cutscenes are taken away, what else could you possibly imply from this character, other than that he is just basically another space marine, but in a, in a dirty old top rather than giant armor. Yeah, well, um, that's what's inferred though, isn't it? What's implied through his actions is also that. But what's what we're explicitly told? Yeah, is yeah, the exactly. Thing that's, yeah, uh, yeah and entirely. this is why I think the. Um, there needs to be more effort put on what is the player actually doing and what are they going to be implying through their actions versus what are you telling them that they should be thinking because in uncharted what you're implying for your actions is that he's a killer and he'll kill her and they might be bad guys or whatever but whatever he's still killing loads of people like he's still yeah. doing what most people would be considered like an evil thing um but then you're told he's great. Like you're told he's really lovable and he's a bit of a rogue and yeah. he's like a family yeah. man. And it's like, what? Like he's just killed like loads of people's children just there. Like what? But two of those three things match. Yeah, absolutely. And two of those three things match up in that situation, I think. Because the thing that the player infers from what they're doing, if they think about it beyond what they're being explicitly told, is that the thing that's being implied through Nathan Drake's actions by Naughty Dog, by the design of the game, it, the implication is this guy is a maniac. This guy will do whatever he wants. But the explicit, so those two things are in agreement. What's implied and what you infer, so long as you don't just listen to the explicit narrative, are the same thing. So, well, my actions, like you're implying that I'm a crazy person for the, the number of people I'm killing. I'm also inferring that same thing because how could I not be? But explicitly through cutscenes and through playing Crash Bandicoot with his girlfriend, it's you're being told that. That's not. Yeah, it's just down to know, earth, lovable, lovable yeah, guy. Right. Like, no PTSD um, insight. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, and and the Uncharted one, is, I feel a bit bad because like, everyone bashes on Uncharted for some reason. It's, it's an obvious, we, like it's a known thing. Yeah, right? like yeah, um, it's a joke. But like, yeah. but I mean, in in explaining the importance of why um, implicit narrative is plays such a huge role, like it is an obvious example 
Um, Particularly when Naughty Dog also have created The Last of Us, which is a very good example of of these things that we're talking yeah. about, where those things match up. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because like everything you're being told in that game does match with the potential stories that can be inferred through what's being implied in the gameplay yeah. mechanics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but in, in Uncharted, it's not like that. <clears throat> um, and that's and that is a reason why, as so long as well as the killing stuff, as well as the like killing in The Last of Us, it's an, an example that I often bring up with why things click together so nicely for me in The Last of Us, because that thing that we all do in video games, where you search every cupboard, every drawer, and that's even if they're in somebody else's property or home, you still do that. Like the game has put things there for you to pick up. Yeah. But often that is at odds and clashes quite, quite uh, egregiously with the narrative of, oh, well, yeah, you're in your friend's house, but you're just taking everything or you are, (laughs) you've gone into this random place and the first thing you do is loot it. And that is, that is solved, if you like, by The Last of Us, by the characters explicitly stating, like Bill, for example, in the first game explicitly states you know grab what you need i'll wait here while you collect your supplies and whatever because because it's very obvious that you're going to go for a poke around even if there was nothing to pick up joel in that situation wouldn't be going around bill's gaff looking for stuff even if the designers haven't put anything there to pick up you're still taking that action and you're stopping the stopping the story effectively you know bill's saying we gotta go and you're like oh yeah just hang on a minute i'm gonna have a look around so by explicitly acknowledging that it fits together. This the feeling that it creates is like okay, that feels good. It's it's not jarring. Is the perhaps most uh, importantly, it's, it doesn't jar you out of this thing of yeah, yeah, sure, we've got to go and save the world or do X, Y, and Z. But before we do that, I'm just going to go and pick up you know these collectibles and yeah. and some resources. Yeah, well, I think this is where like authorship in games comes from. Like, you know, gameplay designers, narrative designers, writers should all be working closely together all the time from the very outset of the game, because otherwise these things come into conflict with each other very easily. But like in that example, you've just said, like the narrative design uh, of the overall world and the consistency of the overall world and the writer, like the detail of the characters and the actions being taken. um, And then the gameplay designer of designing what is possible for the player to do they all fit so then the explicit narrative and the implied narrative work together because the possible implications and the things that are possibly inferred by the player will all match what the narrative designer and the writer have already created as an overarching dome like everything that's the player creates like exists within the dome made possible by the game mechanics because those are the only actions you can take but everything that can be created in that then fits with the wider what's already there, what the what the writers and the narrative designers have already placed there. But that doesn't happen in Uncharted because the things that they've placed there are at odds with what you can do. Yeah, and that's why it's so, yeah, and it can be unsatisfying because there are, there are many examples um, beyond Uncharted that where this happens, and we don't, you know there's a list of games which we we don't need to go to list all of the the worst offenders. But that is why I think as a player, if you're playing a game and you something feels off or it just seems a bit dumb or this is like well yeah as if i think that is all of those are examples of that explicit narrative and the implied narrative either clashing um or the inferred narrative what you're taking from it what you are reading 
of that situation and what you're being told clashing and being two different things. And that's not always obvious. It's not always obvious why something doesn't work. Why it's like, well, that's just stupid. It's like, that can be why, because they're, they're, there's this clash. Yeah. And this is when you get people who are like, you know, they'll be annoyed with sequels, some sequels, for example, where it'll be like, oh, well, my version of that character wouldn't mm, do that. Canon. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And, and now I don't always think that's necessarily the writer's fault or the narrative direct designer's fault. Next, I think players maybe need to be a bit more open with interpretations of what characters might or might not do. But sometimes it is the writer designer's fault because they have opened the door to uh, in, in inferences and implications that they never, that, that should never have been opened like mm. that they like they've they've made it too fuzzy or they've made it um <clears throat> well again to use a nathan drake example like they've opened the door for some people to infer that nathan drake is a blood crazed killer um and then when he does something else it's like well that's not what my version yeah. of nathan drake would do like why is he doing that thing and whilst mm. on one level yes like players shouldn't feel like their version of the character is the be all and end all but in some cases, that version of the character should never been allowed to have lived in anyone's mind ever. If 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 the designers, you know, that at some point they've opened the door for this character to be created in people's minds that yeah. never should have been created. It can it can even be more explicit than that as well, can't it? Because you can have a game where there are two, quite two, at least two, more than two, multiple different endings that go in different directions and that have certain characters alive or dead or that have the state of the world in this way or that way. And then when you do a sequel to that, you have to pick some often. I mean, perhaps you can get around yeah. that in a different way. You can set it in the far distant future or whatever it might be and another planet, whatever. But often you have to pick then as the narrative designer or the uh, the game designers, you have to pick which which version you're going to go with. And so you are... The people that you may have won over in the first instance by allowing them to tell their story and derive certain things from that narrative that you've provided, you then have to isolate because you have to pick a way forward and then say, well, this is this is canon. I think maybe the Metro games, I remember that happening with, with yeah. that. It's like you have to go in one direction or another. Well, I think that's, um, that's dangerous when you're telling characters, when you're telling players you can be whatever you want. You can be mm. a goodie. You mm -hmm. can be a baddie or like Mass Effect. Until the know? sequel. Like, yeah. Like you can be the renegade. You can be the paragon. You can be whatever. But then at a certain point in the trilogy or at a certain point in the, in the canon, you're saying, actually, it's this one. <laughs> like, so yeah. all those things that you yeah. implied through your decisions or well, all the things that you made direct, uh, uh, all the direct decisions you made and all of the things you implied through those decisions or the responses that the game gave you from those decisions are actually wrong. <laughs> so, well, why did you, like, if you're going to have multiple endings and then you want a sequel to, to that involving the same characters, you should probably not make your multiple endings different characterizations of that character because you got to choose one character eventually to start the next game with so how are you going to how are you going to do that like that's not going to work is it no and so then so the, yeah and that is a, that is a trap that can be f f that people can fall into i think from a f another more sort of positive take on that or uh, there's a different way in which that can manifest, which is that you can have games like Dishonored, for example, where there is an explicit narrative and then there is a way that you interpret that narrative and that you play in. And maybe you're deciding to play in a, say, 
stealth high chaos where you kill everybody kind of way because not because of the narrative not because you're choosing to tell the story in that way but just because you really enjoy the game mechanics and it feels great to do all of these crazy kills and the result of that is that you end up with this high chaos um this high chaos outcome this high chaos narrative but the the fact that it responds to you in that way be it because you're trying to tell a certain story or you're just playing a certain way and that in is in itself is telling a certain story is a thing that is also quite unique to games you don't get to say when you engage with other types of media be it a comic book or a film or a novel um unless it's choose your own adventure my character would do this or they would make these decisions or they would play this situation in this way and have that reflected and i think this is something that we talked about the other day about how in some of those other forms some of those things come from once you've got to the end of it once you've finished watching a film or finished reading a book you can then think back on the things that have happened and create this version of a character in your head that would then have a life beyond that that self-contained example whereas in games that can happen on the fly and that's a i think that's an interesting distinction and and yeah the power of games in that way is that you don't have to get to the end of it to then kind of give your character their own life effectively you can do that whilst you're whilst you're playing the game yeah yeah and that that is an interesting bit about thing about games i I think that um i I don't want to say it's more or less powerful because i don't think it is i don't i don't think it is more or less powerful than waiting until the end of something and then sure inferring it yeah it's it's different i I think where that works best um is actually on again something that's quite unique to games is that the protagonists are hollow characters right they're nothing like they're um Mm. you think that works best in the games in in which they are like ciphers you mean yeah yeah yeah. they're they're just um physical embodiments of the player's actions essentially Mm -hmm. like link Mm -hmm. from zelda like you know characters Mm. that don't really have like much to say they don't they don't the meaning of what of the game isn't delivered through them Mm -hmm. they're just like your guide through the world and they're your sword and your shield basically um yeah. the meaning comes from how you're interpreting the actions that you're giving them and possibly what other people how other characters are reacting to them in the game um because that's quite unique as well in books or films that you don't have characters who are just nothing who are just waiting mm. for people to well the viewer to tell them what to do like how does how would that work um i think uh, yeah i think if you're uh, i think that works characters being just sort of hollow works if you want to tell your if a player wants to tell their version of a narrative and they want to role players that just wide open do whatever you want this is how i'm going to um imprint myself on this world then you kind of need to have a shell character um because otherwise if the character's got too many lines if the character's too authored if the if the character's too much to say about the world's in which they live in then you're going to be interpreting your play of that through the cipher of them you know it's going to be filtered mm-hmm. through their worldview so it's not just going to be a blank slate in which i will now make link a goodie a baddie a indifferent or whatever like you can't do that if the character has their own opinions about what's happening in mm. in the world um 
Something another. There is a halfway house with that. I think with something like The Witcher, perhaps, or a game in which there is a very authored character who has a distinct voice, but can use that distinct voice to comment on the things that you are doing as the player. Um, and has there's a version of him there's a version of Geralt there's a version of Geralt that has an opinion um, based on you know whatever it is you're doing and also because often your actions can be interpreted in different ways it's your intent and your the actual outcome can be two different things in yeah. in The Witcher specifically because you might intend to do this for wholly good reasons and I, this is my intention but that will be taken and potentially often twisted in such a way that there's a gotcha at the end of it or there's a there's a thing an unforeseen thing yeah and then Geralt comments on that or has to deal with that or has to do with the characters around him uh yeah you know yeah. getting on him for and, doing a certain thing yeah and I think that is a halfway house but I still think that the Geralt character is still a very authored character no matter what the player does because yeah, mm-hmm. he still has a certain personality he still has people react to him a certain way he still fights with a sword and shield he's still got these powers uh, he's still got a history, um, you know, so all of those things are there, cast iron, set in stone. So any interpretation that you're making uh, is with those elements in firm place. They cannot be, mm-hmm. they cannot be removed. They can't be changed. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, Geralt is a, yeah, he's a monster hunter, a monster slayer. Like there's no, there isn't a version of Geralt where he's a baker. Or, no, so no, that exactly. Is, It'd be hard to play yeah. him as like a pacifist. Like, yeah Um, because then you're removing a huge part of the game so you can't kind of imprint that bit on him Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but yeah like i think you can you can you don't need to um but the whole idea about like what kind of character you are so the fact that like he's got a sword and a shield and a horse like kind of reminds me of so Geralt doesn't have a shield, but you know, oh, right, right. he's got, a, got two a swords and a horse. Um, <laughs> the, uh, Makes all the difference. Um, and nice eyes. Um, he, uh, Luscious hair. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but like that idea of like sort of the, some of these basic elements that you have and like, what does that tell us about the world and the character before we even begin making impl- implications about, um, or inferences about what is, what's happening. Mm. And the mm-hmm. context in which is what's happening. So I always think about Shadow of the Colossus in this, in this way. So before you even begin playing that game, you've got a sword and a shield. You've got. A, have you even got a shield? Have you not? You have got a sword and a helmet. You got a sword. You, got a you, need, you need your. You need your uh, other hand. For you got a helmet. Onto, you got a, you, know, you got a helmet and a sword and a horse, and it's in this fantastical world, and it's all. You've been playing too know, much demons. Giant, yeah, <laughs> giant. Um, just sort of you know uh buildings and um whatever or a couple of giant buildings there, a couple of giant constructs has got that big bridge and, and whatever and mm-hmm. this sort of fantasy world so before you even start playing that there's you know fantasy of that sort that sort of high fantasy has conditioned us to believe that we're going to be subjected to you know chivalry and acts of bravery mm. and mm-hmm. courage and um you know men saving damsels quintessential good guy yeah yeah well like old-fashioned hero yeah Yeah, you're like saint george saving the maiden or the villagers Mm. from the dragon like basically um and the plot is to save this and then surprisingly enough the plot is a bit male trying to find a way to save a female and they've gone into the forbidden lands um to do it and um 
is doing it for love, right? Like what, what more grand reason mm. do you need? What more simple and both, both simple and grand reason do you need than love? Like very sort of old fantasy sort of biblical idea. Um, uh, but then the more you play, like the actions and then your actions in the game sort of like, um, you know, mirror those old fantasy things, your giant, you're fighting giant monsters. So it's like, how could this, how could this small person's, mm. And a comparatively meek weapons and their horse companion possibly overcome this. Well, you know, the power of love will will do it. Um, but then sort of the the undertones of that game, what's being in the implicit narrative when I play that, and it's like one of my favorite games, um, for me is, well, actually what the game's asking you really, what you're taking as or what I'm taking when I play that is, and I'm killing all of these sort of monsters, uh, uh, colossus that are haven't really done anything wrong really they just seem mm. to be living and then when you turn up with a sword and a, and a horse yeah. running around to get up and it's like what's happening and then you jump on them and surprisingly they try to defend themselves yeah. i mean that's, um, yeah so surely the question in that game then what's being what's what can be implied there is that it's asking you as a player all of these actions that you're going for all these typical fancy actions to save to save your your dying love is actually, are we not performing evil here in order to save someone? So then therefore, is the, is the thought, is the idea of loving someone unconditionally to the point where you do anything for them, does that not just open you up to doing evil things? Mm. Um, so when I'm playing that game, I'm well beyond the point of feeling guilt for the colossus now. But, um, but you know, like there is a point halfway through that game where it's like, hang on a minute, like is is the life of this one person yes you might mm. love them but is is this actually a fair deal like is this trade-off fair for just morality yeah. for the world so that's like and that's where that dichotomy that sometimes can be jarring of what you're doing and what you're being told you're doing and that doesn't match up and that feels jarring that's a very a good example perhaps one of the kind of seminal examples of using that subverting that exact dichotomy of the reason that you're doing this meant it's meant to be this incredibly holy incredibly like pure reason for doing this and the things that you're doing they clash yeah. and the more you play the game and i think because you're not explicitly told you're not there's no reinforcement you're not explicitly told that yeah you're doing the right thing keep going oh there's you only need to kill three more of them and you'll get what you you'll get to the goal there isn't npcs saying that there isn't like a it's, just, it's quite passive. Yeah. In, well, there's the I mean, voice in experience. the sky. I mean, like, there's a pass, it's a passive experience, as in judgment isn't being cast on you in terms of like, oh, you're no. doing no, 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 great no. things or you're doing terrible things. So then you're you're given room to think about it, and then the more you think about it, the more you think, yeah, hang on, this isn't. Yeah, and then I think, good. and then the game's quite clever. I think, well, or it's quite impactful anyway. In, uh, even when you're thinking about these things, like the only way to progress is by to continue killing them. Mm -hmm. So you can't ever then get away from this moral conundrum that you're having in your own mind. So the game, you could almost read the game as a criticism of both those fantasy, uh, the fancy elements that it's that the sword and the horse and, and the world and the damsel in distress um, sort of play into. It's a critique on that. That well, no, we will just continue headlong. We will, no matter what, we will continue headlong into here. It doesn't like just like these sort of um, any of these doubts that we're having about these sort of 
purity of our actions are pointless mm. because the only way we can progress is by ignoring them. Mm. Um, and then it might even be a criticism of uh, like a sort of satire on games themselves in that you are told this is your mission, it's pure, get on with it. And any kind of, if you try to not do that and you try to, like, if you just stop shooting mm. your gun in Gears of War and it's like, actually... Should we like the locusts? Should we just see like if if we can coexist? Like the game will not will, will not continue. The world of the yeah. game will end. Um, and that's what happens in Shadow of the Colossus as well. Like it just won't won't continue. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean that's one of my favorite examples of like well, implied. Yeah, and so I th- this all of this I think illustrates the power that game narrative can potentially have. All of it illustrates this explicit narrative what's what is you're explicitly told what is implied and what you infer from from that or from the mechanics or the framework that you're you're interacting with and existing in and it would be i think there's a lot more that you can get from games by just i don't know like every now and then just stopping and thinking a bit more about this like thinking well what what how do i feel about this like okay yes i've killed the bad guys or like it's there's just more that can be it's quite a rich vein of of additional satisfaction that can be taken yeah by spending that time just kind of thinking about it and and yeah thinking about why you're doing these things and and what your actions versus what you're being told how those two things are interacting yeah. are they are they deliberately causing a a like a dissonance is it accidental is are they in harmony how does how does that make you feel i think there's a lot that can be taken from that both as players and also on the other side thinking about it as designers yeah it's an interesting one that because i think there's obviously a lot of meat to to get into on how having the explicit and the implied narratives kind of play into each other is really powerful but it's one of those things that you almost you can still gain huge satisfaction from it without necessarily thinking about it because i'm thinking again like last of us like Mm. it's really powerful the game's powerful because those two things work in tandem even if you're not explicitly aware of what's happening Mm -hmm. but but there's just Mm -hmm. you know that overall sense of it is just empowered and buffed um i guess it's one of those things that you realize how how important it is through the through the examples that just do it badly and it's like, and that really through has the extremes it. i think yeah yeah i think probably yeah you notice it more when it doesn't when something doesn't work and so yes in that instance in that uh in that way the sort of the the poorer examples of it but then when you have the highs of it as well uh that gives contrast and of course it you know it's then you have something to compare it to and it can help you help you find well, I hope you see more than you would if it was just never quite working. Yeah, which... and it just helps you understand why why you like it, you know? Like, why mm. why did that, why was that, um, <clears throat> helps you understand what it is that you liked about that, which I suppose will help you seek out more things that um, that match that, if you understand why you like something, mm. that helps you seek out more of it, doesn't it? Like, as a most yeah, basic Yeah, you can level. enjoy stuff more because it's like, yeah, I want more of that, or I want, or I specifically want a break from that, or I want, yeah x y or z in relation to the thing that i've just experienced and felt and that's yeah and that's a powerful thing 
Thank you for listening. Do get in touch with us on Twitter if you've got your own thoughts on implicit and explicit narrative as they exist in video games. We are at Indie by Design. And also do take a moment to leave us a nice review on iTunes if you like the show and you want it to reach more people. And finally, don't forget to check out our website, IndieByDesign.net, where you can browse the video game books that we write and publish. Right now you can grab yourself a copy of Oddworld Abe's Origins, just in time for Oddworld Soulstorm's release this April. And you can get yourself a copy of 20 Double Fine Years, ready for Psychonauts 2's release later this year. Both books are officially licensed by their respective studios, meaning we've had incredible access to interviewees and our archives. Otherwise, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. 